0: Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at life, share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Through this series, I want us to be really honest uh, about some of the struggles that we have, very human struggles. How do we find God in the midst of those struggles? Uh, What do we do when there's question marks in life? And we kind of don't know how to fit those question marks into the faith narrative that we create for ourselves. I mean, where is God in the question marks? Today, I want to kind of set the tone for where we're going by talking about one of the really big issues that we all have to contend with and it's actually the issue with fear. What do we do with fear? And uh, this is a pretty big issue. I'm going to tackle it in two parts. Today, I want to talk about how we identify fear. And next week, we'll talk more specifically about what do we do with fear? How does God use that in our lives? Now, here's how my thesaurus unpacks fear. Here's some of the synonyms. Angst. Angst. Anxiety, concern, dismay, doubt, distress, dread, foreboding, fright, panic, phobia, scare, suspicion, terror, trembling, unease, worry. Now, as I look at that list and as I think about the world that we're all navigating currently, we live in a climate of heightened fear. Amen. So what do we do with that? Well as I launch this today I actually want to begin with an apology and I want to apologize to every single one of us who has ever been taught or told by a preacher that the opposite of fear is faith and I certainly apologize if I've ever given you that impression. Let me state in the strongest way that I can this morning that faith is not the opposite of fear. Because as I search Scripture, I don't find that reflected anywhere at all. Friends, fear is a very human response. And if we believe that every time we are fearful, that fear is the opposite of faith, that means every time I'm fearful, that fear is actually working against my faith. Or worse still, if I'm being fearful, then maybe I'm sinning before God as well. If we think that every time I experience fear as a Christian, that it's not something that I should uh, be facing, it's something that I should be conquering. If we seem to somehow feel that fear doesn't fit into our Christian narrative then every time we experience fear, we're also going to be experiencing condemnation as well. That will be heaped on top of our fear. And I think it's faulty thinking. Faulty thinking always leads to faulty behavior. And I think what I've observed often over time is that Christians can really easily begin spiritualizing their fear if they have faulty thinking about fear. What do I mean by that? Well, if we fundamentally believe that the Christian should not wrestle with fear, we start spiritualizing our fear to somehow mask it or cover it up or somehow justify it. Let me give you an example. Uh, many years ago, I was uh, a part of a, a prayer group and we would meet in regular prayer, be praying for people. And the group that I was leading was on one occasion praying particularly for somebody Uh, who was wrestling with cancer, quite seriously ill. And as we prayed, one member of the group got very animated, very strong, very agitated and began casting out that demon of cancer in Jesus' name. Now, I really felt strongly prompted just to pause the group and I said, guys, can I encourage us That when we are praying for others, when we are interceding for them, that we must be careful not to be spiritualizing our own fear. And I'm not suggesting that the root cause of that person's illness may not have been demonic. But let me say as well that we have to discern that very, very accurately because quite possibly it wasn't. But here's the thing, of all the prayer meetings I've been to in 30 years of ministry, I've never heard in any of those prayer meetings anybody ever casting out the demon of a heart attack. And I think part of the reason for that is we understand heart disease. We understand how to treat it. We understand how to correct it, which means that there is not the fear attached to heart issues that is attached to something much more complex Like cancer. But at the same time, I've been to many, many prayer meetings where the moment people begin to pray about cancer, we're suddenly rebuking the devil left, right, and center. And I have to wonder is that a faith response or is that a fear response? And I got to say, as I look at the social media space today, I ask the same question. Today, in a heightened environment of fear, we have so many people sermonizing and philosophizing about all things COVID with so much heavily spiritual, spiritual language employed that I ask the question again, is this a faith response or is this a fear response? But friends, the devil would love for you to think that fear is the opposite of faith because he will do anything he can to heap more condemnation upon you. He loves to do that. Here's what the psalmist writes in Psalm 34 and 4. So I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces. Shall never be ashamed. The psalmist is real. He acknowledges, yes, I experience fear. He doesn't repent of it, saying, Well, God, it's a sin. He's very real about the fears he was facing, so he acknowledges his fear and acknowledges that God delivers him from the fear. Isaiah 41 and 13 For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, Fear not. I am the one who helps you. John 14, 27, the words of Jesus. Peace I live with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Genesis 50, 21. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Friends, whenever God says fear not, God Himself is actually acknowledging the very real human response of fear to circumstance. And nowhere does He say that in and of itself, fear is sin. So what's the opposite of fear? Well, again, my thesaurus gives the antonyms. Let's have a look at them. Assurance. Calm. Calm. Comfort, contentment, courage, ease, encouragement, fearlessness, joy, trust, unconcern. And actually, as I was preparing this message, before I even went to my thesaurus, I saw it in Scripture. That it's not faith that God gives in the face of fear, it's assurance in the face of fear. Isaiah 41 and 10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And right there, the fear is acknowledged and the assurance is given. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. Jeremiah 42 and 11, do not fear the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Don't fear him, declares the Lord, for I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. The fear is acknowledged and the assurance is given, for I am with you to save you and deliver you. Deuteronomy 3, You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord God who fights for you. The fear is acknowledged and the assurance is given. It is the Lord who fights for you. Now, having played a very small part in raising five children, uh, there are some occasions that I clearly remember as my children, particularly when they were very small, where they had to overcome certain fears. And and one of the pictures that I have firmly in my mind was the first time a toddler attempts a slippery dip. And maybe parents can, uh, you know, recall that moment. But you see in their face... That fear, it's like, do I or don't I? You know, will I launch myself down this slippery dip and see what happens? So what is it then that gets that toddler over the line to go down the slide? I'd suggest this morning it's not faith. It's not a parent sitting five metres away on a park bench, sipping a coffee under a tree, yelling out, you just need more faith. No, what gets them down is the parent at the bottom of the slippery dip looking up and saying, it's okay, I'll catch you, I've got you, I won't let you fall. It's not faith, it's that assurance. It's the assurance that gives them the courage to launch. And you might well say, well, They've still got to have faith to trust you. And that's true, but only partly true. There's a a moment where the disciples come to Jesus and and they ask a great question. Uh, Luke 17 and 5, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. That's the request. Jesus, increase our faith. Really, really impressive request. Sounds like the disciples are being really, really spiritual. But Jesus replied, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, this is really interesting because the disciples are saying, Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus is saying, no, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed. Mustard seed is the smallest seed in the Middle East. If you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you would see things happen. And the point Jesus is making is this. Disciples, when you say increase our faith, you don't understand the nature of faith. Because the all important thing about faith is not the quantity of your faith. It's the object of your faith. And in the face of fear, friends, if you put your faith in God, if you place your trust in God, He will give you every bit of assurance that you need to know that He will carry you, He will hold you, He will not let you fall. And in the face of fear, you don't need a huge amount of faith to overcome fear. You just need a tiny little bit of faith in a really big God. Who gives us every assurance that whatever you are facing, He has got this. Whatever your fear, whatever your personal slippery dip, God is standing at the bottom with outstretched arms saying, come on, I won't let you fall, I will catch you. He's giving to us, every single one of us, His assurance. And I think there's somebody here today who needs to hear this passage from Isaiah 35 and 4. Say to the anxious and fearful, be strong and never afraid. Look, here comes your God. He is breaking through to give you victory. He comes to avenge your enemies. With divine retribution, He comes to save you. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes to the young pastor, Timothy. And to encourage him, he says this in 2 Timothy 1 and 7. For, excuse me, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. It's really helpful to know that in the New Testament, there are five Greek words that are translated into the one English word, fear. Uh, who knows the English language is just a clunky language and I really feel for anybody trying to learn English because we sometimes take one word uh, and it means a dozen different things. I mean, you take the word fast, for example. If I say I'm going to make that boat fast, is it getting quicker or am I tying it up? If uh, a garment or a piece of cloth says it's colour fast, it means that the colour won't run. But if I say my son's fast, it means he does run. Except if he's fast asleep, he's not going anywhere. If I'm on a fast, I'm not eating anything. But if I have fast food, I'm eating something. My watch can be fast. And I think you get the point. And when it comes to fear there's all these different meanings in Scripture and we've only got one word for them. And that's why there's apparent contradictions like, uh, you know, there's so many times, the Bible says 365 of them, in fact, one for each day of the year, fear not. But then it tells us to fear the Lord. And, and let me give you uh, three of these meanings just to help us understand this because we need to identify fear. Um, the first one is the word phobeo, which is a really healthy kind of fear. It's the sort of fear that stops you doing something stupid, which could harm you or even worse. Uh, It's the sort of fear that stops you driving your car recklessly at 200 kilometers an hour. It's the sort of fear that stops you stepping off a 12-story building. So it's actually a healthy fear. Um, Then there is the word uh, phobos, which is where we get Uh, the word phobia from and we are living today in a phobia ridden culture Uh, there are about 500 or more identified phobias that people today suffer from Uh, and these are the kinds of fear that uh, paralyze us they're really unnatural fears some of them we've heard of, like claustrophobia, which is a fear of confined spaces. agrophobia, which is a fear of open spaces. Then there's some pretty obscure ones. Uh, there's pelladophobia, which is the fear of baldness or bald people. <laughs> I like this one. Uh, Pentherophobia is the fear of your mother-in-law. But here's the difference between those two kinds of fears. The first one, phobeo, would be the kind of fear that is kind of self-protectionary in its essence. It, it's, it just stops us doing stupid stuff. But the next kind of fear, the phobos, is the kind of fear that limits our life. It's an unnatural fear. So the first kind of fear might stop you driving your car at 200 kilometers an hour. The second kind of fear would stop you getting in a car at all. And when Paul writes to Timothy and said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, there's another word he uses different to those first two. And the the word he uses is the word delia, which means to be a coward. And this is interesting. Because the result is, if we succumb to that kind of fear, it means we're afraid to do anything that will actually make a difference in somebody else's life. That first kind of fear keeps us alive so we don't do something silly. The second kind of fear actually cripples us. It's an unreasonable fear that uh, just stops us living well. And then the third kind of fear actually keeps us from accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish. It's a kind of fear that causes us to live really ordinary lives, to not take a chance. So as Paul writes to Timothy, this young preacher who's about to begin this adventure of serving God, he's saying, don't be afraid to attempt great things for God. Don't be afraid that you will fail. Don't be a coward. And maybe for some of us this morning, we wouldn't say we're a coward, but we are afraid to attempt things because maybe you're afraid you won't succeed. You're afraid you will fail. I want us to learn a lesson from Israel's history, from an encounter we read in uh, Numbers thirteen, and right there, it might present a problem for the people who suffer from triskaidekaphobia, because triskaidekaphobia is the fear of the number thirteen. But let's have a look at Numbers thirteen. And the background to this story is that God, through Moses, has released His people Israel from Egyptian slavery—five hundred years of slavery in Egypt. He's leading them to the Promised Land, the land of Canaan. But 51 days into that journey, Israel sealed their own fate because of fear. And here they are, camped in a place called the Paran Desert. They are about ready to enter Canaan. God tells Moses, select 12 spies, one from each tribe, and send them into the land to bring back report. Tell us what the land is like. Numbers 13 and 2, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe. Send one of its leaders. Well, they do that? When they finally get back to camp, here's their report. Verse 27, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The, uh, the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we certainly can do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. And of the 12 spies that went to explore, two gave a great report based on the assurance that God had given them. And 10 gave a bad report based on their fear of the circumstances. And right there, the fate of Israel was, uh, was sealed because fear won. And what should have been an 11-day journey from that place into the promised land became 40 years of them wandering around aimlessly in the desert, not going anywhere. And their fear had become bigger than God. They were at the top of the slippery dip looking down, but their fear stopped them seeing God at the end with outstretched arms saying, guys, you've got my assurance, I'm going before you. I won't let you fall, I will catch you. And the first four verses of chapter four of Numbers, we see the symptoms of fear overwhelming people to the point where they cannot see God. Their fear had become bigger than God. And friends, when your fears become bigger than God, there is almost like this grief response. Uh, Verse 1, that night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. When your fears become bigger than God, you will easily complain. You will easily even slip into a victim mentality. Verse 2, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. When your fears become bigger than God, you will always long for the past. You'll always look back and think, if only we could be back in the good old days. As I always say, the good old days are never as good as you imagine them or remember them to be. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. And they were thinking that was the better option. When your fears become bigger than your God, you will question, you will cringe, you will retreat. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And you see all these questions that are triggered by their fear. And then when your fears become bigger than your God, you start making Really sudden, spontaneous, reactionary and irrational plans. Verse 4, and they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Good plan, guys. You see, the Israelites had become fearful to the point of being totally irrational. Verse six, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, who were among those who explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. There's the faith statement. But then there's the fear statement, very next verse, but the whole assembly talked about stoning them. And the Israelites were so overwhelmed by their fears. Their fear had reduced them to a level where they weren't thinking or behaving rationally. And that is the result of fear manifest in its extreme. I'm going to ask the team to come back. And as I wrap this up, let me say God does not condemn you because of your fear. The devil would love for you to feel that. But we have to be honest about our fear. We've got to identify it for what it is and then lean into the assurance of God. And we'll talk about that more next time. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are a God who brings great assurance no matter what we're facing. And I thank you, Lord, that your word brings great assurance, great encouragement. I I thank you, Father, and and, and I believe there are some perhaps liberated from understanding that fear is not the opposite of faith. Uh, And and Lord, I, I pray that even that is just liberating to know I can be honest before God about my fears, not cower back because somehow I'm feeling I'm displeasing God because I'm displaying a very human response and reaction to circumstance. God's wired you. He knows your makeup. But Father, as it was for the Israelites, I pray that none of us would make the mistakes of Israel. That fear just sealed their fate for the next 40 years. I pray that we wouldn't be incapacitated by fear. But God, that we would lean into that assurance that you offer us. And in this day and age where there is so much negativity and so much fear that is just spewed at us through our media, I pray, God, that we would counter that tenfold by being into Your Word. Your Word that brings that assurance that if God is for me, who can be against me? And Father, may we be people every moment of every day who live according to your promise, live according to your assurances, and that counters the effect of fear in our lives. May we be people who truly know what it is to fear not, because God, you're standing at the bottom of that slippery dip and saying, it's okay, I'll catch you. Make that real for us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.